The text for the sermon this day is taken from Luke chapter 1, which you heard earlier, and also because it is the commemoration of Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 3. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So to start, I'm going to read from that text, Genesis chapter 3. Now, it's a text that you probably heard many times in Sunday school, vacation Bible school, or whatever. And to kind of give a little background is, just as a refresher, is that God had created the heavens and the earth. He created everything with just a word. He created man. He created woman. And when he created all of these things, it was what? Very good. No sin, no death, no sorrow, no grief, no sickness, none of it. And so we arrive at Genesis chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, at this point, the serpent is kind of acting like your stereotypical uh, politician in that he is telling something that is what we call a half-truth. Because is it true that they will, she will not die the moment she eats that fruit? Well, yes. But it is also true that as soon as they eat, she eats that fruit, her body will begin to decay and death will become an inevitability. And so the serpent knows the destination. He's just telling a half-truth. And he's promising that, they, that she would be like God, knowing good and evil. And understand, this does not just mean that they know what is right and wrong, they already know this. The reason we know this is because when she was asked about the fruit, she knew how to respond. She knew she wasn't supposed to partake of it. She had some concept that death was a bad thing. So it is not the knowledge, it's actually it's a Hebrew idiom. Knowledge in Hebrew, it can actually refer to power. So, knowledge is power. I don't, anybody remember that one? That's what it was in Hebrew. And so, power over good and evil is what is being promised. It is being promised that she is able, they will be able to decide for themselves what is good and what is evil. In modern day, there's a word for this. Relativism. What I believe is right may not be right to you, but we're both right. That was the temptation in the garden. 
Because when, we, when morality is determined by yourself, you have become a god unto yourself. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for fruit, food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, so that the, eye, so that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Where is he? With her. So she did not have to chase him down and try to find, like, oh, this is so good, you got to try it out. He was there the whole time. He, and so why isn't he doing anything? The primary task, one of the tasks of every single husband is to protect his spouse, to protect his wife. This man, Adam, was failing. He should have knocked the fruit out of her hand. He should have slingshotted that serpent across the garden. But he's sitting there, and he's listening to the whole thing because he is being duped just as much as she is. So the whole idea that the woman was guilty and not the man, nope, they are both 100% guilty. By the way, fun thing about the Hebrew, the Hebrew word that's translated as serpent could also be translated as dragon. This is actually why so many stories are about the damsel in distress or the knight saving the princess from a dragon because the very first man failed to save his wife from a dragon. And it's a lesson to every man how they are to be better than Adam. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. Why was it significant that they knew they were naked? See, before, nakedness was just the way they were. It's like being surprised... Being, at that time, being surprised that you were naked would be like being surprised that you have eyes or ears. You just had them. They weren't ashamed of their body. The minute they partook of the fruit, they became ashamed of their body, and their immediate inclination was to cover it, to cover the thing that God created. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid, him, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden, which is foolish. Why do people... This happens many times in the Bible, people trying to hide from God. It's just not a good practice. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He knows where they are. He's just giving them a chance to fess up. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Both of them passing on the buck. As far as the man was concerned, it was, to some degree, it was the fault of the woman, which, we got, by the way, this began the battle of the sexes. 
But it was not just the woman's fault. It was God's fault for giving him that woman. And then the woman blamed the serpent. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That last part is important. But I'm going to come back to that in a moment. As God goes on and tells them the consequences of what happened, if you ever wonder whether or not that text applies to you, they are your first parents. If you ever wonder if it applies, if you've ever had a bad day at work or at school, be, even if it's in part, as, as part of being a parent if you've, or being a spouse, if you've ever had one single bad moment or bad day, that is a consequence of the fall. Because God said, by sweat, thorns, and thistles, you will work. This is the consequence of sin. And to go even farther, if you, as we approach Christmas, and there are people that you know that you wish could be here, but they have passed on, that is the ultimate consequence of sin death. Sin has passed through the world and it passes all the way down to you from our first parents. Every sinful thought, every sinful action, every sinful word is a consequence of what began in that garden with our first parents. But before they were kicked out of the garden, God gave that promise that you just heard. The serpent, the offspring of the woman, would crush the serpent's head and he would bruise his heel. This is known as the Proto-Oyangelion, the first gospel, the first promise of the Christ. Now one might think that the next, this, the you could imagine that for Adam and Eve, they must have thought, oh, it's going to be our first children. So their very first children are who? Cain and Abel. And by the way, according to, as far as Luther was concerned, they might have been twins. But Cain and Abel were born, and so maybe one of them could be the offspring to crush the serpent's head. And at a time when death was just an idea, they had no idea what death really was. They never seen it. They never experienced its sting. Cain, one of their sons, murdered Abel, the other. There are four people in the entire world at the time, and one murdered the other. Seeing the harsh sting of what they had brought into the world. And the world would get even more corrupted. This led to the flood. 
But one of the reasons you know that God will not destroy the entire earth is because he promised that the offspring of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And since that offspring was not born yet, you can trust God's promise and you know someone will come out of that flood. And so he saved eight persons in all, Noah and his family. And then he made a promise again many generations later to Abraham that through his wife Sarah would come an offspring who would be as numerous as the stars. Many, many generations would pass beyond that, hundreds of years. And he would tell the King David that his son would have a throne that would last forever. Again, you might think that this is Solomon. But Solomon died. And when he died, the empire split. There's a southern kingdom and a northern kingdom. And before long, that, that line would become a stump. Hence that little, the banner over there. And I think Pastor Salcedo has it on your stole too, don't you? The stump? Yeah, okay. <laughs> but hence the stump. Because the kingdom ended. And so, through Daniel, the prophecy was given that there would be the Persian, there would be the Babylonians, then the Persians, then the Greeks, and then the Romans. And during the Roman Empire, the king, the final king, would come. And through Isaiah was promised, a sign will be given to you. The virgin will conceive and bear a son, and he will be called Emmanuel. And so six months after Zechariah was told that his wife Elizabeth, in her old age, 50s or 60s, was pregnant, the angel Gabriel visits the 13 to 15-year-old girl, Mary. The reason we know that she was that age is because that was the typical age of engagement in the first century. So Gabriel told her that she would be pregnant. So anybody in here 13 to 15 years old? If you're in that age range, imagine being pregnant. It would probably really make things interesting in your life. That was the news that Mary received. And Mary, one of the most amazing things she did is she didn't say, no way, I can't do it at this age. She just says, be it to me as you say. She accepted it without question. And then this leads into today's gospel lesson. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. So this is right outside of Jerusalem. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. See, like I said, we're going to have Christmas this coming week. And probably most of your life, you have known that the Christ has been born. But as far as they were concerned, they didn't know. 
They were waiting. They had been waiting and waiting and waiting for thousands of years, waiting for the Christ to come. And so when the Christ was in the womb of that young teenage girl, and she came into the presence of Elizabeth, the baby that was in her womb, who had become known as John the Baptist, leapt for joy. Which, by the way, can babies have faith? Yes. John leapt for joy. Because faith is not something you do. Faith is a gift from God. Why did John leap? Because it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that the one inside of Mary is God in the flesh. And see, this is the destination of this child. See, while the, wo the woman, Eve, she was deceived by the serpent at the tree, and she put the, took that fruit, and the fruit entered into her, bringing sin and death into the world. So through this second Eve, the woman Mary, the young girl Mary, out of her would emerge a child. A child who would grow up destined for another tree. And he would have his hands and his, and his feet nailed. And blood would pour from it. And from the fruit of his womb, the fruit of his death would bring life and salvation to the entire world. See, the devil used the tree to destroy man. God used a dead tree to bring life and salvation to everyone. The designs of the devil cannot overcome the designs of our God. He kept his promise of the offspring to, of Eve. It was born of Mary. He kept the promise of the offspring to Abraham, born of Mary. He kept the, uh, the promise of the son of David, born of Mary. And she is the virgin who shall conceive. And by the way, this is not that Mary, it's not about Mary being so wonderful. It's that God chose her for this. The emphasis is not on Mary, it's on who is inside of Mary's womb. It's who she gave birth to. God in the flesh. And by the way, if you, you're hearing this theme of trees, hearing about a stump, and what emerged from it is a branch, Hearing that theme of trees, what do you see right behind me? A Christmas tree. There's a reason why we have Christmas trees at this time of the year. Because originally, the commemoration of Adam and Eve was on December 24th. Because Christmas Eve technically does not start until 6 o'clock. That's what's called Christmas evening. So the tradition was that they would have trees up with apples on them. Because some reason Europeans think apples are the only fruit in the world. Most likely, Mary ate, Mary, Adam and Eve, sorry, most likely they ate of a pomegranate, probably not an apple. But there's an apple on there reminding them that of that fallenness, how man had fallen in sin by partaking of that fruit. But it kind of got merged into Christmas to remind us, and this is why we have lights on there, because it's to remind us that the light of the world was nailed to a tree 
in order, why is there all this green? To give you life. From his blood comes forgiveness and life and salvation to weary sinners. And that's why we could say in these days, in these last days of Advent, Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. Do you know who Israel is? You are Israel. By the promise given to Abraham, you are Israel. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, the offspring of Eve, the, the offspring of Abraham, the son of David, has come to you with salvation, bringing end to death, darkness, sin, tyranny, bringing to the end of all ills of this world. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come to you. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith, the life everlasting. Amen. Please stand.